I'd like to kick off today's show with just some news and some updates that I just wanted to maybe address at the top of the show. It's more of just a a few thank yous to you guys, the listeners. Uh, First things first, a couple weeks ago, I know I put a link in the show notes of this show, and it was two weeks ago, and I want to say I did it last week, and I'm going to continue to do it. Coffee.com, K-O-F-I is how it's spelled. Um, It's just a website that helps support artists. They create like a profile page and whatnot and just show the stuff they're working on. I hadn't even really fully like updated everything on a personal page I made for me, Tyler Geis, but obviously I'm going to put, you know, stuff to the, you know, links to the podcast and whatnot and anything else that comes along on there. And I'm not saying I'm going to like make like, I'm looking to make like tens of thousands of dollars, but I basically what you can do is you can just, you know, throw me $3 here to, cause you've seen some of the shit I'm working on. And it's just like this metaphor of you bought me a coffee. But um, actually what it's doing is it's going towards my work or it's going towards a cup of coffee while I'm working. I don't know. That's the concept they're going with. It's kind of a cool little thing. I'm seeing websites like this pop up here and there. Um, But again, I didn't even really fully set up a profile and everything. But a couple of you guys out there bought me a coffee, so to speak. And I just want to say thank you to that. I'm not going to name any names. But um, if anybody would like to do that, just $3, $5, a dollar. And because you like the stuff I'm putting out and um, you can do that. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes and you can basically buy me a coffee (laughs) because I like coffee and everything's going up price wise these days. (laughs) Now, next up is one thing that I'm sure every podcaster out there does on a weekly basis, daily basis, hourly basis, minute basis. If you're really, really psychotic, I'm not. I usually just check every couple days, but uh, check the analytics on who's listening, download numbers, and where uh, people are listening from. And so I, you know, I check how many downloads I get on a weekly basis, like, you know, anybody else who runs a podcast does. And, but one thing I did recently is I started seeing who's listening from where, and I'm not putting any names. I don't get that kind of information. I can make some assumptions on who's listening, judging by the States, if it's people I know, but then I've noticed those numbers have gone up a lot in just like random States or random parts of the world that I don't know anybody. I mean, let's remember when I started this show, I kind of thought I would just be reaching out to friends. Friends would be listening. I know friends do. I know I know a lot of my friends listen on a regular basis. Thank you. Shout out to you guys. That's what friends are for. But yeah, like I just been getting some like random spots in the world that this show is hitting. So I just wanted to give a little shout out. I got a list of um, areas of the world of people that are listening to Tyler Geis's basement. Now I'm from the Northeast. I'm from Massachusetts, and I do got some listeners in the New England states. You all know who you are. I probably know who some of you are. <laughs> like Connecticut, uh, Massachusetts, uh, Vermont, Rhode Island, uh, nobody in Maine, what the hell, but you know, Maine's pretty low key, you know, unless you're like Stephen King, but, um, but I've got to give a big shout out to all you New Yorkers out there. The past month, New York has been top of my list of places where this show has been downloaded in the U S I've had a lot of New York filmmakers on the show And I've had a few New Yorkers on the show recently, so I feel like maybe that's why it's kind of killing in New York. But you New Yorkers rock. I miss going to the city. Hopefully I can go sometime soon, swing by. I don't know. New York's big. I don't really know what kind of impact me, a little podcaster, is going to do in New York City. But, you know, time will tell on that. Uh, But, yeah, New York has been the number one state that has given me downloads this past month. Shout out to you guys. Uh, just recently, too, I saw I'm starting to kick a little ass in New Jersey lately. Uh, Delaware, too. I'm going down the eastern seaboard. And also just this week, I uh, shout out to all you listeners in Hawaii. I have never been to Hawaii. So it's cool that my voice traveled to Hawaii. Um, Hawaii is definitely a bucket list place I want to check out at some point. But um, also... A, another shout out to a couple other states here. Arizona, uh, y'all are listening out there. All my friends, maybe, maybe not my friends, but uh, maybe just random people, maybe industry people in Los Angeles who are listening to the podcast. Shout out to you guys. All my West Coast friends, miss you guys. Um, all my West Coast people, uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> um, 
But uh, outside of the U.S., I've noticed. I good God, I I, I joke of I joked a few weeks ago about I have that one download in on a weekly basis from Slovakia. Whoever you are, you're still around. Thank you for listening out in Slovakia. Um, I'm also killing it over in the UK right now. A lot of downloads coming out of um, England at the moment, uh, Germany as well, and Kazakhstan. <laughs> um, <laughs> but shout out to the person. This it only happened once, uh, but like I think I had like one or two downloads coming out of Kazakhstan. That's fucking awesome. I mean, I think I'm also just looking at the list here. Um, Nice chunk of downloads out of Spain, so shout out to listeners from Spain. Um, yeah, I'm really happy to see numbers going up all over the world right now. I mean, look, I'm not blowing up by any sense, but I just wanted to give my gratitude to all my listeners for this show from, you know, back home in New England, uh, you know, I'm down here in Florida, so, you know, Florida's been getting a lot of downloads pretty much since I started this thing. Um, across the U.S. and obviously now into places like Europe, uh, the Middle East, even Australia. Don't want to forget about Australia. I'm sorry, I, <laughs> I got some listeners from down under. Uh, this has just been—it was just really cool to see. I didn't really look that much into like who, what, and where uh, my downloads are coming from. So much appreciated to you guys. Now, after all that babbling for the last five minutes, it's time to talk about today's show. Now, I just want to poise a question to the audience. What constitutes a bad movie? And I'm going to address this towards the end of the episode again with my guest. But what constitutes a bad movie? I joke about, you know, midnight movies, cult films, or just underground what-the-fuck kind of movies on this show all the time. I'm a fan of pushing the envelope of what I can see. You know, something that tends to be one thing, but it ends up being absolutely laughable. Um, I don't like to use the term bad movie for something that, you know, seems like it should be a bad movie. And I say this on the show today. A bad movie to me is when you leave the movie theater or after it ends, after you watch it on a streaming platform and you end up being let down by it. And pretty much after that film ends, you have nothing to talk about. It just did nothing. It didn't hit a chord with you. It didn't get a rise out of you. Nothing happened. And that to me is a bad film. A lot of I, I make a reference to uh, obviously one of the most famous hailed as like the worst movie of all time, uh, The Room by Tommy Wiseau. Yeah, everybody knows that by now. You know, him on the rooftop going, "I did not hit her. I did not." Oh, hi, Mark. That you know that famous line we've heard probably over the last four or five years since the film The Disaster Artist came out. A film like that has been labeled a bad movie, but yet people flock to it. And people love it, and there's just something about it that just really kind of gets people excited. They want to see it on the big screen. So today on the show, I have one of the masterminds behind a film from the 1980s that I guess you could say went off into being just an obscure film that, you know, maybe people didn't really get at the time of some sorts. I'm, I'm choosing my words carefully, but I'm getting to a point here. 1986 saw the release of a little haunted house movie where a group of people's car breaks down and they stumble across a haunted house. I'm talking about the film Spookies. I love Spookies. I've loved it since I was a little kid when I maybe saw it by accident and it absolutely kind of messed me up. People like to poke fun at Spookies a little bit because, well, I don't know. I'll let you decide for that yourself if you ever come across it. But it has caught this audience over the last few years and people just respond so well to it. It's gotten a Blu-ray release through Vinegar Syndrome um, a few years back. And it now is actually currently streaming on Shudder, I believe, still. And on the show today, I have one of the masterminds behind that, Frank Farrell. Frank's credits also, may I add, include the 1987 release of another kind of over-the-top, crazy, but cool, fun horror film, Street Trash, which we touch on a little bit. But the main focus of today's episode really, I think, is Spookies, because Frank's really trying to keep the spirit of that film alive. With the renaissance of a film like Spookies, just catching the zeitgeist and internet buzz that was created by genre film fans, Frank's really at the forefront of that, championing it, getting the word out, talking to other filmmakers about it, and maybe working on some potential things with a sequel down the road. We don't know. We'll see what happens. We'll talk about that in the show. But what I also thought was really cool and near and dear to him, it sounded, is he's trying to keep the spirit of 
making that film alive. One of his collaborators on that film passed away a few years back. An episode like this is what this show is about. Yes, we're talking some obscure midnight movie cult films here today, but we're talking to one of the artists behind it. And I really feel like you feel Frank's passion come to the surface in this episode. And I wish nothing but the best for this guy. He's an artist behind something that people love. And he's loving keeping this thing alive. You can't help but respect and admire that. Enjoy this one. I feel like there's a lot to take from it. Anyway, that is a really long, cold open intro. Thanks for hanging with me on it. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the basement. Okay, everybody. So on today's show, well, actually, as everybody knows on this show, I talk a lot with uh, horror filmmakers and cult filmmakers. I do a lot of episodes by myself where I talk about cult films that I've been catching on streaming and whatnot. And I just stumbled upon a cult film producer who's made two films from the 80s that have just have a huge following pretty much over the past few years. Well, no, it's a, the, the truth is that the... Following for Street Trash has pretty much been there since yeah, it yeah, first yeah, came yeah. out. It's just gotten bigger and bigger. Uh, and in the case of Spookies, it's really that most people never had a, a decent chance to see it because it, it was, out, in the U.S. at least, it was out of circulation since the 80s in any video format. Uh, you know, there was, uh, there was a bootleg on YouTube uh, and there were still, uh, you know, foreign DVDs and things like that. But, you know, it just didn't get out there the way so many films did. Completely agree with you. That's why I got you here on this show. Frank Farrell, ladies and gentlemen, is on the basement today. How are you today, sir? Hello, I'm fine. I'm great. I'm doing wonderfully. I'm good. We got two two bearded guys here talking about, well, talking about you. Uh, <laughs> and I just got mine. Tra- I've been writing for like the past year and a half, and I have not cut my hair or my beard, and I did that just a couple of days ago. So I, I got to be honest, since uh, since COVID, I feel like I've been letting it grow even. I mean, this is like just... Well, that, that was part of it, too, is it just like there was, you know, like that you could sort of feel unmotivated about going out to do this. Of course. I, I don't like letting it get... People say like, wow, you're growing your beard, man. I'm like, no, I just haven't had time to get in the bathroom and, you know, shave this damn thing. Because I, I don't know. Right. I, don't, I don't like a clean shave, but I don't like this, you know. But um, yeah, I had I had when I was younger, I mean, I had a beard for many years, shaved it off at one point, And actually, this is the first time I've had it back in quite a number of years. Interesting. Uh, OK, well, you just mentioned right there. Uh, you've been writing a lot. And usually I say stuff like this for the end of the show. But like, you know, it, it's good to know you're you're still kind of chipping away and like, you know, trying to create stuff right? like what what. Well, I, I I never stopped, and I mean, I I, I made sp- uh, Spookies, for instance, with two partners, and yeah. uh, you know, they, I mean, one of them I remained friends and partners with uh, for decades after he he passed away just a few years ago. But we still had, we were still writing, we still had projects out there. We came close on many occasions to getting financing for things. But I mean, as this business sort of teaches you, is most things just do not happen. <laughs> Yeah, I've been I say it repeatedly on this show because I'm a writer myself. I'm right. I'm I'm in the arena, but nobody's putting me in the game yet is what I like to say. Right. So and, in, I, and in the case of Spookies, I mean, we had made a feature film which which made money theatrically and on video at the time of its release. Mm-hmm. But we were totally in conflict with it after it was taken into other hands and turned into a, a very different film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to touch on obviously spookies and street trash in a little Mm -hmm. bit but obviously one thing we do on this show anytime i got filmmakers on and what or just anybody in general um i like to go into your origin story a little bit and kind of how things started for you and the the big question i love to ask is what was it what what was it uh what movie was it what filmmaker that you've just kind of studied or just, I, I whatever think, it was. I mean, bear in mind, I grew up, uh, you know, basically in like the sixties and, you know, as a, as a young kid and, and uh, the amount of media that was available to consume was quite like minuscule compared to yeah. what you have available now. So that, I mean, like literally like uh, 
uh, Channel 9 in New York used to run movies. And because they could only afford to buy a certain number of movies, they would have the million-dollar movie, which was the same movie run like all afternoon or all day over and over again so i certain and and kids you know will will watch things again and again and to tell the truth i as far as i can figure it and just you know having thought about it a lot um the original king kong is probably the thing that had the most influence on me because i remember seeing it at that very young age i mean it must have been like three or, or something and the fact that it was just you know i mean they would literally the film would end and an announcer would come on and say if you have if if you have missed any part of king kong or would like to see it again the next performance will follow immediately that that, mo that movie was just so ahead of its time with like stop motion anime or what, whatever was well, really that, and, and a lot of i mean it had a lot of other like optical effects just beyond the stop motion the backgrounds and the settings yeah. and everything i think it had a unique atmosphere um it uh it's interesting because it was an enormously influential movie but uh it wasn't you know you'd think that like some other producers would have like immediately attempted to copy it or do something like that at the time and no one really did i mean they made a sort of a half-hearted sequel to, to king kong but uh you know there uh but that film had a major impact on me and i think for a lot of reasons i think it's in many ways especially for a kid it's it's like a, a very emotional film yeah did I, I did you did you grow up on like you know like monster movies and stuff and yeah I mean amongst you know many other things certainly that I saw at, at, as a kid but um, that um, I probably the movies that the, the first horror movies uh, that I began to see regularly were probably the American international films from the fifties right because those would show up on like you know like a major you know like you know AB like an ABC the ABC channel in New York. And it would it would play, and then like the six o'clock news would come on. So it was like you know it, it it was on stuff like that was on fairly regularly afternoons, programmed I think for kids after school, and that's one of the things I, I grew up on, and I started to see all those those movies, um, and uh, I think I be, I obviously became somewhat fascinated. But around that that same time, maybe when I was ten or something, I discovered like famous monsters of Filmland magazine and realized, oh, gee, there, there's there's magazine and like all these other people like these movies. And, you know, it, um, it sort of made me feel less weird and alone because at that time, to tell the truth, if you were that, if you were a geek, if you were into anything too much, you probably stood out more than you wanted to. Yeah, that's the thing. Like geek culture is so accepted now. Like, the, it, it, well, now it's mainstream. It's yeah, not, now it's, it's almost mainstream, not geek but culture anymore. like so many, I mean, I've talked to other horror filmmakers from the eighties and whatnot. And they were just like the first time they really kind of dissected something is they opened Fangoria magazine or another one is, you right. know, they just saw like behind the scenes stuff like, like you did, or like another one was like, they saw the Michael Jackson thriller, like behind the scenes video with John Landis. And they're like, Oh, there's someone that actually does this behind the scenes. Right. But, right. Right. No, that, that, that's cool. So, you kind of grew up on just watching a lot of monster movies on cable television. I mean, I yeah, that, and, got... then, and, and I and, and the thing is, I would see like uh, pictures from all the the Universal horror movies of the '30s and '40s mm -hmm. in famous monsters, and I and they weren't in circulation at that time. So I was like, well, where, where, and when can I see these movies? And eventually, they came onto a local New York channel, and uh, you know, suddenly these I was immersed in, and those were also a very big influence. I'm very big on uh, atmosphere. Uh, I like monsters that have some human element or quality that I think gives them, uh, you know, depth as characters. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd say uh, that. And plus, I love black and white. I have a, I've had a lifelong love of black and white. Uh, I think there are a lot of, uh, in, there's a certain kind of impact you can get at times with black and white. The color just really won't give you. Agreed. Agreed. So monster movie. so you grew up in new york primarily yeah yeah so like and you were making films or like trying to make films like in like the 1970s and 1980s and i started making movies when i got you know i got a super 8 camera i yeah. started doing stuff when i was 12 or 13 i was fortunate enough to have a high school that had an actual course in filmmaking nice so i took that for two years i made a couple of uh war uh films that won awards at, at the uh the state student festivals um 
but that that sort of set my path also because I got a lot of notice and people kept you know complimenting my what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So I thought, all right, well maybe I'm on a path here. Did did any like uh, I don't know if the word a tour filmmakers was really around at the time, but like did any like directors stand out to you that you pulled at from? that time? I don't know. I think I think there's a certain time when you're a kid, you don't you're sort of still unaware of, of like exactly that kind of hierarchy. I mean, you mostly relate to what you see and the people you see on screen. Um, but I, I, I definitely, I mean, I, I guess Famous Monsters was a big help with that because it made it clear, yeah, there are people who do this and they're real and uh, whatever. Um, I, you know, I never, I, I think I have a different attitude than a lot of people. I'm, I never like was fascinated by movies because of the glamour element or, or the thought that, gee, I'll be famous and rich and stuff. I just liked this this medium, I, I like this this art form, the way it can be used, and and uh, what really good filmmakers can do with it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's where I come from too. I like the the nuts and bolts of stuff and all that kind of stuff. But um, I mean, I generally, I think, I mean, I sort of pride myself. I mean, I think I can look at a film, you know, old or new, and within ten minutes, I'll you know, five minutes less, uh, tell you I can you know, I pretty much assess whether whether the director has a handle on what he's doing or not. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so you've had like, you know, different kind of, uh, you've been a you know writer producer, you've got in front of the camera too, obviously, and um, which mm -hmm. we might touch on a little bit, but um, like what, what do you kind of feel like you gravitate more towards? I've wanted to, all these years I've wanted to direct and because I, you know, the, the pieces have not all fallen into places I might've liked. Uh, you know, I had a lot of projects that I wrote that I wanted to direct, put out there, you know, and, and, and so, you know, as I said before, myself uh, and my partner, Tom Doran, who was one of the Spookies co-directors, we continued to work together for years. Uh, I mean, he was a tremendous writer and I felt like one of the most creative people I'd ever met. And uh, and I thought we, we had sort of a vision with anything we tried to do. We didn't just want to do another, you know, we didn't want to crank things out. We didn't want to just make another imitation of, of something else. So we try to come up with what we felt were unique and ideas that lent themselves to the medium of film. And uh, unfortunately, I mean, I, I feel bad because, you know, he passed away in 2017 and I wish he was a part of everything that's happening these days, thanks mm -hmm. to uh, Spookies being suddenly uh, widely available uh, because he, he felt very ashamed of what happened to the film. He felt that he could not show any of it to anybody because it was just so radically different than than what he had done yeah no that i yeah before i get into spookies i just had something i want to bring up because I, I did a rewatch of the um the documentary about it oh great great perfect <laughs> well, seriously because it's like there's like a lot of backstory there. yeah <laughs> yeah there's a lot you can kind of learn about i mean I know there's going to be an audience member listeners that know of spookies and whatnot that listen to the show, but there's probably a little demographic of people that uh, like may have just seen spookies in passing or whatnot. But before I get into spookies, it's just in like the first few minutes of the documentary. And it's just cause I'm a Romero fan. You were right. in Dawn of the dead. You were an extra. Yeah. Well, myself and, and my partner, the other co-directors of, of, of the film, uh, Brendan Faulkner, when we heard that uh, they were shooting the sequel to Night of the Living Dead in, in Pennsylvania, and we said, and they want zombies. So we thought, well, of course we have to go, you know. Oh, yeah, unfortunately, there was like a major blizzard at the time that we left. And so we drove 12 hours in blinding snow at a very slow speed, just trying to stay on the road. And then we spent uh, a weekend in uh, uh, Monroeville. Yeah. And we we had a great time uh uh i i interviewed and I, you know i did an article uh so i interviewed george i interviewed uh, the producer richard rubenstein i interviewed tom savini and ken Faree and scott reininger and and i had a great time and all these people were so nice to me you know they were like genuinely like good to me and i was like nobody just walking in uh so that you know that felt very good but um the fact was also, it was a very informal atmosphere. George had finished shooting, like he said he could stop now and he'd have a, he'd have a film, but he had, I guess, a little money and time. And so he was playing around with ideas or different ways to, to, to stage things. So that's how I wound up in the scene where uh, the bikers break in and then they start hitting the zombies with pies and I get hit with the, the spray from a seltzer bottle, which is stuff George just came up with at the time and, and said, I, 
I don't know if this is going to be in the film. <laughs> and I, when I finally, first time I saw it, I was like totally stunned to see that it was there. You basically had a master class with like one of the masters of horror. Well, he was like also that. What I also learned from him is because he was a real planner and he knew like, you know, he knew pretty much everything he wanted before he ever got to the set. He, and he was so calm working. It was like, you know, because I've seen directors who are just like basically having, you know, going through a, uh, you know, a life crisis in the middle of every day that they work because they're so mm -hmm. emotional and et cetera. And that has its place. And it's like, you know, people work different ways. But George just seemed to be like relaxed and having a nice time. And I, I, I kind of admired that. That's awesome. I, I, I just like, I hate the fact that, you know, I mean, we have so much like great films that he's made to look back on, but he, I don't know. It was, it was, well, I mean, no, the sad, it, it, it's, I mean, the really sad part is just that Hollywood never gave him credit for what he was never he had done. Um, you know, the thing is, uh, you know, I mean, like, I mean, the, the fact that the walking dead was like one of the biggest hits in television history. Yeah. Um, kind of amazed me because I was not a major fan of it. I felt it like had a lot of things they could have done with this idea and they just didn't. They decided to go for, as George himself said, a, you know, a soap opera with zombies, you know, and I have nothing against focusing on human characters, but they really, I never felt that, that like they had any, I, you know, they're not, I don't, I, I can't think of that show and think of like scenes that I was in major suspense or that I was just so impressed by the way they, they did something. I just feel it was, uh, you know, very average in many ways. Mm. Yeah, I think there's a demographic of people that agree with you, especially lately with the, I don't know, some people have kind of been- Well, that, that show's been on life support for a long time. <laughs> I, I, I look, I'll be, I'll be the first to admit the first four or five seasons I was, I was in on it and just something. I, well, the thing is, I, happened. I saw it late. I didn't start seeing it until it was on a few years. And the first couple of seasons, you know, I was like, wow, you know, they're, they're really pulling this off more or less. And then I felt it just became very scattered. Yeah. I, I, so one of the, one of the big critiques of that show is i guess season two they were like they're just on the farm for 15 episodes and right, i was and even I, annoyed I like, they're just on the damn farm for budgetary reasons yeah i found out amc them. like cut their budget like in half so um i, I don't know is, I, you see i i, I think that's a poor excuse because i don't feel you need a big budget to pull i mean if, if if i was faced with a situation like that i'd say all right well we we stick to smaller more intimate scenes but you could have a scene with like three characters that's like knuckle you know white knuckle suspense i mean it, it, it doesn't have to be anything that elaborate or expensive yeah no I, no I agree i agree um yeah but anyway on romero i just i just you know his those that that night of living dead uh, dawn of the dead day of the dead that trilogy to me is just uh, i i go back and revisit all the time and i just love well, how I mean, I mean from what I, I mean i know i know his uh, his son uh, george c romero uh who's a really good guy he's also a filmmaker there's and, a book that he like just released or something, right? Or it's been out for a few years. I think he finished something that his dad was working on and put it. I don't know. I, oh, right. I, I, no, actually, yeah. He well, he, he's been he did a thing for Heavy Metal Magazine. He had the thing is he for years as a filmmaker. He no matter what he did or what ideas he had, they always, would always say, "Well, what kind of a zombie movie do you want to do?" And that's you know. And he felt like, well, this isn't necessarily what I want to do. And yeah. So he eventually, I mean, he did have a zombie concept that he tried to make unique and, and different and, and trying to approach the whole idea from a different angle. Um, and he had a screenplay and then it got turned into a comic story. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I, I'm, I'm not sure, I haven't kept up on it. I don't know if it's been published yet as a full graphic novel, uh, but he, you know, uh, he, uh, I think, should get to make that into a film at some point. It's, it, it seems like it's at least building towards it yeah um, you know but his, his his dad i think also was just like one of these people who didn't he wasn't he didn't have the hollywood mindset he wasn't there you know and i understand that because you know he wasn't there to be able to you know walk on the red carpet and have people take pictures of him he wasn't there so that uh you know people and you know fans would fawn, fawn over him uh i think he was there to get what was in his head onto the screen yeah yeah, there's just so much social commentary in those movies. I mean, the scariest people those movies to me are the people not, you know, walking zombies and whatnot. All right, let's let's do it. Let's jump into spookies because I, I mean, I, I, I've just always been 
I rewatched the film. It's streaming right now on Shutter, also, and I do have a Blu-ray. Oh, is it okay? I, I wasn't. I wasn't aware it was streaming. Let me make a note of that. I'll, I'll... <laughs> oh, no, does somebody owe you money? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but <laughs> no, I wish. I wish. Uh... No, I, I I got the Blu-ray of it too. It's not. I don't think it's by me. I think it's in in the in, a, in the other place where I have my Blu-rays. But um, I gave it a rewatch. By, by the way, just let me just so I can clear this up for anyone who happens to be watching. I'm not making any money from the Spookies blu-ray or okay. anything connected to it i'm i'm uh, uh all the rights are owned by vinegar syndrome who purchased yeah. them from our wonderful backer uh who still owned the film and uh i uh i mean i have plans for things like doing some merchandising and some other things uh, that uh, vinegar syndrome has uh, sanctioned but i i don't um you know i unfortunately it's not like i'm getting you know eight cents on every disc sold or something mm-hmm. like that. well um i don't know if i'll Cut this part out or whatnot, but uh, well, if, if you want to send me a link to like merch and stuff, I can leave it in the show. I, ha- I ha- the thing is, I haven't. I'm about to try and get into that kind of thing. I've spent the past year and a half writing and just trying to. Yeah, I, I've I've tried to write a script so probably so over ambitious that I should be you know incarcerated or something. I mean, it's just like <laughs> really maybe beyond what is possible in terms of the money that myself or Spooky's follow up could could attract. But I think it's a damn good idea, and I want to go through with it. Plus, it's based on a concept that my my late partner Tom came up with, like uh, when, like back in 2013, when uh, we were talking about, well, gee, what if if Spookies ever gets out there? Because it was at that time in limbo; it, it hadn't been released mm-hmm. in many years. But if it gets out there, it'll at least get some attention. Maybe we can, you know, raise money on a sequel for that. And uh, the fact is, uh, he came up with a great idea that I. Have taken and turned into a a script which uh i have just completed first draft that is cool no i th- that is awesome that you've like just kind of kept it going and kept it going for you know well um, the thing you know, is you're... i can't no no look we used to have serious discussions about this all the time because we were miserable most of the time because we yeah. just like you know we'd either be writing and sometimes you know when you're creating you're writing you're either like stuck and, and, and frustrated or it's just flowing and, and, and you feel yeah, great know, you're creator like... and it's working for you you just you're like whoa, whoa wait wait till the world sees this that kind of attitude it, it's you know you're delighted um but reality uh, keeps punching you in the face yep at almost every you know juncture and and uh you know i mean we both uh we took a lot of bullshit and put up with shit but we never stopped we could we you know we we realized he at one point said to me he said well, I wish I could quit this. I wish I had gone to art school or stayed in art school back when I was when I was uh, you know at a, at a high school and because uh, I think I'd be a pretty good commercial artist. Because he was a good artist, he he could draw it pretty well. Uh, but uh, he knew that I mean that his main attraction was to the to the film medium. He couldn't, you know, like myself. It's like you just can't if something draws you to it and you can't stop. Like we couldn't stop, you know. You know, we would we would discuss how you know, like, all right, maybe we could stop this. We could start a small business in something sensible or something, mm-hmm. whatever. It it um, it came down to uh, there was no way to do it. It's the kind of thing where we if we decide if we made that decision, we have it on our minds all the time anyway. Yeah. No, I. I, I mean, I frequently find myself. I mean, if you if you are creative in any way, you you know, you probably. Things just come into your head out of nowhere at random moments, and mm-hmm. you know you have no real control over that. No, no, you don't. It's usually sometimes it's something you've seen on TV or something in the news, and then sometimes you're just out for a walk, and it's like, oh, this could be like this. And sometimes it it's like one storyline that isn't really working out for you, but then it like meshes with another thing you're working on, and then bam, there's your there's your script. I don't know, but I completely feel you. And I think it's cool that you've been sticking with Spookies for ultimately it's well, I'm sticking with Spookies because Spookies is certainly the easiest thing for me to raise some money attached to, you know, uh, it's uh, I can actually say I have had a recent hit. So, yeah, yeah. Well, let me let me just tell you, because I I told you I had a story (laughs) for you before we kind of dived into Spookies here. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll talk here, but I, I, I want to say before we, before we, I hit record here, I, I was, I was telling Frank about, I was watching a, this movie when I was like a kid and I don't know if like my brother or sister had it on VHS. I, I'm the youngest. I had older siblings, the 1990s. Um, and you said it was either the bootleg of a VHS or whatnot. Well, I mean, if you, if you, if it was a VHS tape, I mean, it sold at the time, it sold a lot of VHS tapes. It's initially yeah. 
its initial release by the Sony Video Company. It was, their, yeah. it was their first actual feature film that they were releasing in theaters. So they put a lot of effort into their video campaign for it. Yeah. And uh, they, uh, you know, they, they sold at the time something like 30, 35,000 units, which was a lot for a, a film of this sort at that time. So they considered it a real win. Yeah. So I think it was like a Saturday afternoon or something. And I just like happened to be strolling into the living room. I think it was just me and one of my siblings. And the and I didn't see the whole movie at the time because mm. uh, this part honestly creeped me out. Like the, the term kinder trauma of, you know, little kids seeing something that they maybe right, right. or something that isn't even really like all that scary. But like, I mean, honestly, when I watched it again, I was just like, ah, oh, it just makes me uneasy. Well, I, I think it has an it has a certain amount of appeal for kids just because a lot of the creatures are sort of out of the ordinary. Yeah. They're very fanciful. So I think that, you know, adds a, an element of, of, of kid appeal. So the, it was the spider woman scene that just broke me, man. I was like six years old or something. And this thing put me like scared the absolute shit out of me. Uh, just the way the, um, the makeup effects in that scene, the, 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 what happens to her face, just, you know, I know it's all with cuts and every time we cut I, back I, to her, it's something I, different. Right. But. But bear in mind that is not our edited version of the scene. Probably it's probably about a third of the footage that actually existed of the scene that we originally cut. And wow. it, I mean, um, originally the spider woman is, you know, it's the same basic progression, but then on, on either side of her, there are like these wood boxes that like with trap doors that open up and two large spiders come crawling out. You see the character, wow. like when a spider jumps on him just towards the end yeah. of the scene. And that originally was, you, you know, you saw it, it was, uh, I'm trying to remember, because I believe we had mechanical spiders, but I think we also uh, had some animation of them. So yeah. it, it was actually like, you know, it was a major part of the scene gone. Uh, and then the spider woman actually finally unfolds her legs and you, you know, and you see this and that's gone. And I can't explain that. Darn. Well, anyways, that I saw that when I was a kid, it really messed me up. And I always wanted to track this thing down. And then obviously with like a, the Blu-ray that came out and that I remember I was like, oh my God, I think this was that movie. And <laughs> so that's kind of how I got hooked back into spookies. It got back on my radar. Um, yeah, I've, I've had endless people tell me of like the just their memory of seeing it on the shelf in the video store and they were so attracted to the cover they either had to see it or they eventually had to see it but they they remember the co the cover illustration in any case yeah so um <laughs> so what was really kind of how did this film come together like like just talk to me about how spooky's kind of we myself my two partners tom brendan we had been you know working together for several years we had had a few things almost sort of happen. Uh, I did uh, 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 Roy, Roy Frumkis, who was the screenwriter and the uh, central producer on uh, on Street Trash, was somebody that I had become very good friends with, and uh, we uh, he actually did a he made an attempt to do a feature film through a college class he was teaching to uh, to do an anthology horror movie with uh, professionals and students. And he got the most interested and possibly talented students. Uh, and he got a few name people from the industry in there. So uh, I was actually chosen to direct one of these episodes. Uh, Brendan was also. Um, Wes Craven was one of the professionals who, who was doing one. Unfortunately, the thing, the whole thing just fell apart. The college went from like, we were doing it at the college using their facilities and et cetera. They went from approving of it to somehow feeling, I think, uncomfortable about it. And yeah. it just kind of fell to, to, to pieces. Um, there are parts of it that are available to see on the Blu-ray and actually the DVD uh, for the, the Italian zombie movie, Dr. Butcher MD. Nice. The, the title I've heard of it, is yeah. a retitle of a film called Zombie Holocaust. But the titles that were fixed for Dr. Butcher M.D. under that title contain scenes from this movie I just told you about, directed by myself and my partner, Brendan. Interesting. No, I didn't know that. That's, that's, I've heard of that movie, but I never checked it out. I, I, it's, it, yeah, and it's like I, I, I retroactively have my big screen debut at the age of 19. <laughs> so let me, uh, let me ask you about the like makeup effects in this film um like what was what was kind of some inspiration you pulled from to well we i mean we 
you know, realize that this was like an important part of, of the horror scene at that time, especially because as I'd say starting in the late 70s or so, maybe, you know, effects became more and more a prominent and, and uh, you know, valued aspect of these things. Um, we were fortunate in that, uh, you know, where we lived in Westchester County, we managed to come in connection with people who were, you know, young guys like ourselves tinkering in these things and starting to get uh, some capabilities. And uh, we we originally uh, had a guy who we were friendly with. He had done some effects for us on a, uh, a project that never came off called called Hellspawn, mm-hmm. which, is, which is what we tried to get our, our backer to finance before he demanded what became Spookies. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, we had problems with his work, unfortunately, uh, like in, you know, in the midst of production. And uh, the whole thing was taken over by Gabe Bartalos, who was his assistant, who I think, I'm, I'm not sure if Gabe was 17 or 18 at the time. Um, and uh, Gabe like just jumped on it and really, you know, he, he and Jennifer Aspinall, who was another up and coming and, you know, a uh, very creative person in that field at the time, created the original look of the Toxic Avenger, uh, went on to win Emmy Awards for makeup on Saturday Night Live and, and many other things. Um, but uh, we uh, we were lucky that we had these people there to to sort of step up and they did wonderful work for what, for, you know, I mean, we, we had our, our limitations financially and otherwise, but uh, I still feel this, the effects that we came up with in a lot of, in a lot of those scenes uh, outclass similar scenes in other bigger budgeted films from that same period. I, I recently watched uh, the film Ghoulies again, which is which, which of course is one of the places they, they got the name Spookies from. Uh, but uh, Ghoulies has inferior effects to, 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 to Spookies. I, you know, meaning the, the articulation of the creatures, what they can do, how, you know, all of it, the sculptures. Yeah. I got to check out Ghoulies again. It's been a while for that, but that's, it, it seems, it I know seems it's pretty lowbrow. Respect. All right. I want to talk um, like locations because I had a guy on this show, a filmmaker out in New York who right. said the, uh, the house that Spookies is at um, was like filmed about 10 minutes down the road from where he is. So where did you guys shoot this? Yeah. I've, I've, I've talked to people who live nearby. Um, myself and my partners lived in Westchester County. Okay. All right. I lived in the town of Mamaroneck and about like literally like one town over was the town of Rye. And in the town of Rye was the John Jay estate, which was uh, a big piece of land and uh, houses that were built by the, uh, uh, I think he was the first chief justice of, of the U.S. I'd have to go back and check. I don't have my history necessarily accurate at the moment here. Um, but uh, we... Uh, we're looking for a location, a house of, of one sort or another. We had originally had one in mind that, if I recall, I think it was, may have been in Connecticut. But uh, we then were made aware that this place was there. We looked at it. It was perfect. Uh, we had a long period of negotiation because uh, we were in a, it, it was an odd situation. The, the then owner of the property was just hoping to be able to tear down all these historic buildings and put up condos and, and make a lot of money. And the town was preventing this at the time and we had to go through uh like a lot of uh sort of uh we uh, clearance really for uh uh the ability to use the house meaning that uh suddenly i mean the, the house had basically been neglected and was sitting there rotting and then suddenly because filmmakers wanted to go there and go into it and do things they became very concerned that we would destroy it and so they had uh, meetings of, of their, you know, the, of the local council, etc. And if, you know, we pleaded our case and we got the use of it. Everything went fine. Um, but it was uh, shortly after the time that we shot. It was a, it was declared finally a historical, you know, site, so that it couldn't just be randomly, uh, you know, dragged, you know, t- taken down, taken apart, and and, and turned into an, another type of a of a building or, or use of the land. It's now there. It's, uh, you know, people visit it. I, I, the, the mansion was open for tours for a while. I don't know if it still is at the moment. Cool. No, it's so the, the guy I had on the show, um, I guess he was right. I just I wanted, because when I found out you were going to be coming on, I was just like, I need to compare notes here, see if anybody's lying. But all right, cool. No, because I, I know you're, you know, New York. Yeah, I mean, let's just, let's, let me put it this way. I personally, I have not been back to the, to the site since the making of the film. Mm-hmm. And bear in mind that I was so immersed in my work there 
and you know and we had like you know people bringing things that we needed in and out of the location all the time i did not leave the location that we made spookies on for six straight months interesting so i was I, like i mentioned at the beginning of the show i did a watch of the documentary about the mm-hmm. uh the film twisted souls i believe which was the was that that was the original name for spookies yeah that was that was the title that we we, it was originally actually the title of another other project that we had come up with like years earlier. We just mm-hmm. liked the title, so we repurposed it for this movie. So I, I just wanted because you there's a fun quote, and it's not really fun, but um, that you said <laughs> <laughs> you said it was uh, making that film was amazing. It was fun. It was the most hellish experience of my life. What elaborate on just no, a little a, bit? I mean, I had had experience in various areas of you know filmmaking i sort of uh my two partners co-directed the film essentially because they had we all wanted to be directing right mm-hmm. uh i probably had the best organizing skills of of the three of us uh so i went up most of this type of stuff uh anything involving organizing anything i mean i i'm the one who typed up all the scripts all this type of stuff um and then they uh shortly before for the time of Spookies, they had gone to a place, uh, to the city, the town of Brewster, which was nearby, to there. watch some people shooting a movie that was then called Like Father. And they started hanging out. They made suggestions. This was inexperienced filmmakers doing it. And eventually they started taking over some of the direction and, and writing new scenes. And the film eventually was released by Troma as Igor and the Lunatics. Okay. Right. So... Um, so I th- so they wanted to step into directors the directorship of Sp- of Spookies and because I think uh, I never really discussed this with them but it's my opinion that neither of them would concede to the other so they wound up co-directing it uh, meaning they alternated directing specific scenes um, but to be honest uh, once I got into the thick of things I realized that we really didn't need two directors but we could have used more than one. Uh, produ- real producer because they they for instance they got producing credits but they really didn't do much on the producing end of anything so I was just uh, working like 22 hour days trying to keep everything going on you know in every facet of this production we were understaffed I um, I would have delegated more responsibility but we had limited you know people to call on for certain things uh so it just it just took a lot out of me mentally and physically because i I was getting the first actual week of shooting i was getting like three hours of sleep a night indie filmmaking hell it it, it is and it you know and it taught me you know simply that like all right there's a lot more work to do than anybody can imagine on any film it's it's always going to be more than you think Mm -hmm. yeah well look i'm just happy it's kind of out in the zeitgeist again it's a fun i don't know what people are calling it cult classic midnight movie i, I don't know horror film i feel like it's a good combination of a bunch well of it's things. interesting because i think the people for years it just got nothing pretty much but negative reviews yeah. on online etc and I, the real problem with the film is that the way it was uh, re-edited and turned into a different film with new scenes added is that it, it's frustrating in that you follow a story and then it, then, that, then suddenly it cuts to another scene and there's a secondary story and then, then you have to start follow that and then that suddenly cuts back to the first story. It's all sort of without rhyme or reason. There's mm-hmm. there's Ultimately, there was no purpose to it. It was just there uh, because the, the woman who got involved in the what was supposed to be the, the final edit of our version of it uh, somehow convinced the backer that, you know, that only about 40% of the film that we had shot was salvageable. Interesting. How did, uh, like, because, you know, there's a Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray now. Like, how did, were you approached or was one of your team, one of your collaborators approached when the idea of, you know, getting this out on a Blu-ray? No, no, nobody approaches us. No, no. Nobody ever approached us. Uh, every every door we ever knocked in was, was slammed in our face. I mean, it's just on and on. You know, I don't expect, this is why I'm sort of in a perpetual state of shock at all the, the enthusiasm and respect for spookies now because for years it, it was like really it was more detrimental than it was any kind of a plus for me okay i i, want... I don't know if that answers your question though no no i think no i think it did i think you're good you're good you're good um i want to move ahead to about a year after spookies came out i believe uh street trash which i i feel like right i, I began that about a year after spookies yeah this is just, I mean, 
I just realized right now we didn't really say this plot of Spookies, and I was about to, you know, start talking about the plot of Street Trash. But um, a bunch of teenagers, played by people in their twenties and thirties, go to a house and <laughs> monsters appear. Perfect, perfect, man. So, so Street Trash, like, explain to me the the plot of Street Trash as best as you can. Um, it takes place amongst the homeless in New York City in the eighties. Uh, of, and at that time, there were people, homeless people, just like all over the streets, mm-hmm. you know, and in certain areas, it was just kind of overwhelming. Um, and you got sort of used to it as part of the landscape. And to tell the truth, they were always, uh, you know, most of them are mentally ill or have substance abuse problems, but there was usually like entertainment to be found. Yeah. You know, there were, there were always like little weird things going on with, with, with various, uh, people on the street and, uh, Roy Frumkus, who, uh, I had met originally at the at um, the State University at Purchase, and then I switched schools and I went to the uh, School of Visual Arts in New York City. And by coincidence, he was teaching there, uh, so I, I got uh, more friendly with him. And he brought me into this project that one of his uh, students, uh, Jimmy Muro, had uh, come, done a short film and wanted to do a feature film and. Uh, Things just sort of progressed from there. He wanted to. He knew I was doing Spookies, and he had, uh, you know, for while he was raising money and trying to get uh, the thing together, he, want, you know, he made it clear he wanted me to uh, to come in and work uh, the same thing I I had just done on Spookies. I feel like Street Trash has. Uh, I don't know. It, it it just. I I I I'd read and kind of. I, I don't know what your take is on this, but I'd read that you know there's a lot more social commentary in it about like Vietnam veterans. And, I think it's like, there. I don't. I just think it's not exactly emphasized. Um, you, do you know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, the, the no, fact, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you've got to understand that's not the kind of subject matter that at that time anybody would be doing a film about. Probably it was not, you know, uh, and to do a film about uh, the homeless people as your main characters and to sort of not hesitate to make fun of them along with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of a radical move. I mean, we knew at the time we were making something that some people would think was like very objectionable. And I think uh, right from the start, we played into that. I mean, Roy wrote a script that he knew had scenes in it that like could be very controversial one way or another. We knew, we knew it was an automatic X rating probably. So we released it unrated. Um, It's interesting because uh, tastes have changed and uh, what people are offended at has changed. And nowadays, Spookies, uh, uh, well, actually, no one, no one is offended by Spookies except except us, the filmmakers. <laughs> but although I've learned, I've certainly learned to live with and appreciate and appreciate Spookies at this point. But with Street Trash, um, nowadays, I, I've had people talking to me about the film. They'll compliment and and, and say how much they like the film. You know, it's like, however, it, it it really doesn't show the homeless in a very flattering light. Yeah. And you know, I don't know how to respond to that because, like, like. What are they supposed to be doing, or how are they? You know, what um, are they all supposed to be like? You know, uh, you know, uh, just uh, down on their luck, college grads who happen to be on the street. I, I, I think we just showed it more, you know, with a little exaggeration for comic effect. But I think we showed things very much as they were. I mean, believe it or not, some oh, yeah. of those in, in street trash with with like bums just hanging out all over the street. Those are interchangeable with real life in some places at that time. Uh, yeah, New York in the 1970s, 1980s. I was looking at locations. You guys shot like Long Island or Brooklyn? Primarily Brooklyn. Primarily, uh, we we uh, we had a, a, a an auto graveyard, a junkyard, which uh, was very fortunately owned by the director's father. So that became the central location for the, the the story of the movie. But it was also the the place where we had our headquarters. Our production office was there. Our makeup workshop was there. So it was, it, it was a great central location to have. And then a lot of the additional scenes on various streets, et cetera, were shot in surrounding areas. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Brooklyn, it's uh, probably looks completely different than how it did and does now. I, I have heard street trash. Trash. Like drastically, drastically. Yeah, well, I, I've I, been to New York I haven't City been to Brooklyn in recent years. I've been to, I've been to Manhattan, and Manhattan, it's like Times Square is like another world compared yeah. to what I grew, grew up with and, and for years going to the grindhouses on, on 42nd Street. That is a that is another episode. I'm New York in the '70s. Just New York film in the '70s and '80s. I just I know like people like to say how it's grimy and you know just not really a great. Like, I don't know. I just feel like the, was, the cinema of that time. Grime is for like many reasons. I mean, sort of that like when people say that, it almost seems like 
it, it infers that like the, the actual people who made it were like covered in dirt and, yeah. and like they were all oily and they, they got on the film or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, you know, but it, it really came down to, first of all, a lot of movies are being shot in 16 millimeter, which always looks a little bit degraded yeah. compared to 35. So it has that sort of quality almost automatically. But, uh, you know, also, you know, when you shoot low budget film, you don't have, always have the lights that you'd like or you don't always have the location that you'd like. So, they were, yeah, they were, you know, down and dirty. They were a lot of it was just guerrilla filmmaking. It was like, all right, let's do the best we can with incredibly limited resources. And realize also that Street Trash, Street Trash compared to many films, had a fairly decent budget. It was about a half a million bucks in all told, right? And other films at that time, there were movies being made for like, you know, $15,000 or whatever, um, and getting into theaters in, in some circumstances. But it, it, uh, it was kind of hard to avoid a certain sense of griminess. Yeah. Speaking of grime uh, or gore, I should say, I love personally, I just I love the gore effects in Street Trash. And I'm not like even a big gore guy, but I just need something that like really is going to uh, just catch my attention. And like, no, even though it's gory, I just find well, it beautiful. It's, it's in some interesting way. because we uh, knew that from the start, we'd be doing this in like not just not blood. It would be like multicolored yellow, yeah. and purple. So and, cool, fun to look and at. We thought about it for like a, a long time. Like, all right, does that mean they'll give us an X rating just for for gore, or does it mean that they'll think this is like a children's <laughs> or something because of all the bright colors? Um, and I think original. Eventually, we knew we faced an X rating, but not just for the gore, but for the overall tone of the film. Uh, <laughs> it just had too many specific things that were probably going to be looked down upon. So, um, I, it's interesting. I. I I don't know how I think people are shocked and offended and upset by the way people melt. But if you think about it, it's absurd. It's like totally like a cartoon. Yeah. 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 No, that's the really good way of putting it. It's a cartoon. Um, where is like, like, I mean, I, where can we find street trash like these days? Like all over the place, really. I mean, it's uh, the the DVD and the Blu-ray have been available for years, and uh, you know, all over the U.S. Most video distributors would have it. All over the world, same thing. Uh, there are new versions that have come out every few years. Uh, there was recently a very deluxe German version, for instance, that was uh, very elaborate. Had a bottle of, of Viper in it, and uh, you know, awesome. I mean. It, no, I mean, it's like one of these movies that the fans are dedicated enough to like really, you know, be willing to just, you know, search out every, you know, variation of a release that there might mm -hmm. be. And so I think we've been fortunate in that respect. <laughs> Spookies hasn't quite reached that kind of notoriety where I think, you know, where we can just put it out there in new editions all the time or whatever else. But the fact is, uh, there's still a lot of backlog of, of visual information and and certainly stories etc that didn't never made it onto the blu-ray that uh, at some point i'm probably going to be called on to do something with um it's it's really um more than anything I, I i think it's just amazing to me that that uh spookies has come back to life like this because i i my my partner tom was ultimately ashamed of the mm -hmm. film that it, it had become and saw no way to to redeem himself from it and uh i think uh you know he he really would have benefited so much uh from this kind of uh, well adulation it really is I, I have people all the time contacting me and telling me how much the, the film means to them no i I, th I thought it was cool when you became facebook friends and you uh you, I, like I, I, I saw it in your bio and everything, and I was like, "Oh, right. cool! It might be a good idea for guests for the." I've, I've made every effort I can to reach out to fans, to do interviews, you know, to accept, uh, you know, interactions. It's I'm very grateful that they have decided that this is now like a movie that is worthy of something, yeah. um, because for so year, so many years, I couldn't. I, I mean, there are times I, I had friends once and they all wanted to see my movies. So I showed them Street Trash and they loved it. And, oh, they couldn't stop raving about it. Then they demanded to see Spookies. And within 10 minutes, they asked me to turn it off. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, um, but I think I, what has happened, though, is that people who are fans of it now, uh, they see, they know, first, especially those who know what happened to, to the film and, and why it is like it is. 
they they sort of understand that they they feel sympathy for us as filmmakers mm-hmm. they uh can now at least make sense of why it just jumps all over the place and uh i think a lot of people enjoy it for the, for the same reason i like a lot of what are essentially you know not necessarily good films but that they they don't they don't seem to be able to tell their story in a normal yeah. way they're like all over the place and so, I mean, the structure of Spookies makes me think of a lot of Italian horror movies from the 80s. We're just like, it seems like they were making three different movies and nobody could figure out which one was the actual movie. Yeah, I've seen the type of films you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. You know, like we're, we're literally like 20 minutes into it. Another movie starts. Yeah, I think there's just like an internet renaissance right now that <laughs> started from the internet. Because like, you know, a few years ago, the, um, the adaptation of the book about the movie uh, The Room Right. Uh, the disaster right. artist came out and, you know, that's hailed as one of the worst movies of all time, but yet people can't get enough of it. And I mean, me, I'm included in that. I've been to midnight screenings of that film and there's just something about it where I just want to study it and know what's kind of. Well, it's I think it's one of those things. I think the best, the very best bad movies are like so consistently off kilter that like yeah. you know it's, it it seems like it's planned by someone who's actually you must be very talented because how could you, how could you get it to be this consistent yeah no like i'd rather see a movie where i just am like what in the fuck is going on and i'm talking about it after i leave the theater or after i've done got done streaming it I'd rather do that than nothing, no conversation about it. Like I, I, right. I just, I think there's a lot to be said about movies that people just find weird and offbeat and stuff. Like if you want to call them bad movies, I don't really call them bad movies. No, but I no. See, my feeling is, is like any movie you want to be engaged by and entertained, yeah. right? And sometimes I, I've seen movies that I'll admit, wow, this was a great movie, but it really didn't engage me very much. I really wasn't like that. Yeah into it i admit maybe it's a a truly great movie but i don't have the desire to see it again yeah no i i feel you um so you kind of answered a question i was going to ask you about how you feel about kind of the films you've made reaching these kind of statuses in the world i'm 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 flipping out at time you know i'm i can't i can't get over how oh that's cool man good for you movies Um, now are and the fact that i can maybe be making another movie is is just like uh I, I couldn't really ask for much more aside, aside from the full budget for the movie right now. Yeah. <laughs> no, that that's cool that you, uh, I don't know. I feel like that's a filmmaker's dream. Maybe it's not every filmmaker's dream, but just to have that thing that. Well, look, it's frustrating that I had to wait all this time. It's frustrating that my partner, Tom is not here to be a part, part of it. Um, it's frustrating that, um, you know, the film like just generally got bad mouthed for for the you know 35 years or so mm-hmm. basically um and there was no, no real way to correct that um you know i mean even myself i mean when i saw the transfer the video transfer for the blu-ray and saw how they had just you know it looked impeccable it just looked so good it looked better than when i did see it on a, on a big screen in 35 millimeter yeah and it, it gave me even a little more respect for the film even though i have so many issues with it yeah well, um, you touched on it a little bit, but this is kind of the part of the show where I like to ask my guests, uh, what's next for you? I know you say you're doing a lot of writing. You're looking to make I, a new feature. Right, but... I, have written, I have written a follow-up to Spookies that's like, as I said, I, I don't want to tell people exactly what it is about. Completely fine. But it's, it's very different. It's extremely ambitious. Um, my goal is uh, for it to be as entertaining as humanly possible. Cool. Um, and let's just say if any of these fans of your work wanted to track you down, not, not in person or not in your I, own I, private I, home, but on the internet Social media is through Facebook. I mean, I'm, I'm on uh, uh, a couple of other you know, sites, but I, I really don't uh, use them that much. Um, uh, I'm accessible. I, I, like I said, I'm so grateful to fans that when people get in touch with me, I mean, I generally will do any, any podcast that at least seems like an actual podcast I will do. Um, I, uh, have people all the time I and mean, I have other filmmakers, young filmmakers who want to get advice from me. And when I can spare the time, I'm very, I'm very open and I like being able to do that. And, uh, 
I mean, right now, one of my fantasy goals is that we get to do this new Spookies movie, which won't be called Spookies. Uh, and uh, I get to staff it with like a lot of the people that have been in touch with me in recent years who are, are, are film technicians, who are writers, who are, who are, are uh, uh, makeup and effects people, a lot of you know artists, and to have people who are already on board before we even begin rolling. Nice. That's a good thing to know. Um, well, I think I think people will who you know who have some connection to the film that they're now doing something as a follow up to. I think that would be a hell of a lot of motivation. Yeah. No, that would that would be that's that's a really cool idea. Well, Frank, I hope I hope you're I hope the next Spookies film gets made. I really do. I think. Thank um, you very much. Thank you very much. I'm I'm going to be working really hard to make. I that I, I know it. I I really hope I hear about it at some point down the road. Um, and thank you for coming on and giving me a great show. Thank you for having me and, uh, you know, have me back again sometime. I, awesome. I have, awesome. I'd love to talk shop made, with you. Everybody listening, you guys know the routine, leave a rating, leave a review, go watch spookies or something. Go find the, yeah, go watch it. And then if you are upset by what you have seen, I am, I am accessible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There you know it. Take care. We'll see everybody next week. Yeah.